Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Irish Balance podcast. If you're a regular listener you guys already know who I am and um, my name is Dr Kira Kelly. I'm a public health doctor and I am at the Irish Balance on Instagram and you guys probably know my blog at this stage the Irish Balance blog. For any new listeners, um, that's my introduction, so now you know who you're listening to. Um, it's been a while since I've had an episode for you guys, and as I'm sure everyone is aware, the COVID-19 pandemic has, for all of us, made life um, pretty busy, for want of a better word. And it's great to get back in the podcast chair again today to chat to a fellow medic. Um, so today's guest is a fellow doctor, Sarah Murphy, who is an Irish doctor like myself, currently specialising in obstetrics and gynaecology. And you'll find Sarah at Dr. Sarah J. Murphy on Instagram. Welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. How are you doing? Thanks so much, Kira. I'm good. How are you? Great. I am good. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a year. <laughs> um, so I suppose I just wanted to say, first of all, thanks so much for giving up your time on a Sunday morning when we're recording to have a chat. It's been um, when we've been talking about doing this for a while. So it's lovely to connect and to, to get to have a chat. There's a few things that I was hoping we could talk about today, um, including your own career to date, obviously, specialising in, in OBS and Gynae um, and a little bit maybe about COVID and pregnancy. Um, and I suppose a bit more about prevention around cervical cancer. But I'd love to start by just asking if you could tell us a bit about yourself um, and your, I suppose, your career at, at the moment, um, just so we uh, listeners know a bit about you. Thanks. Sure. Um, so as Kira said, my name is Sarah Murphy. I'm a doctor working in Dublin at the moment and I specialise in obstetrics and gynaecology. Um, so that is kind of a combined specialty of two big areas. So the first obstetrics is the care of women pre-pregnancy, in pregnancy, during labour and after delivery, and then gynaecology, which is the care of women who have issues pertaining, I suppose, to their reproductive tract and cycles. So whether that be issues with periods, um, issues with um, pain um, of the pelvis or cancers of the area, all things like that. Um, so at the moment, I'm working in Dublin in Hollis Street, um, and for people that might not realise or know this, um, when you are a doctor working in Ireland, we move every kind of six months to a year. So mm-hmm. I'm currently four years into that and of a probably nine year <laughs> stint. Um, so another little while to go. Yeah, it's it's a big um, it's a big commitment, isn't it? Um, like, I mean, you and I, where did you study medicine? Actually, I think I know the answer to this, but I was UCD and I think you were Trinity. Yeah, I was. So like similar kind of duration of medical school. Yeah. And I had one of my friends, Kira, who's going into dermatology on the podcast recently. We were just chatting about, I suppose, our med school experiences and, and skin cancer prevention. And I just think it's it's really interesting to talk to other Irish doctors, particularly those of us that are on social media a bit, because it is a long road. Like you mentioned, nine years there. And I, I'd love to know, I suppose, what was your experience of medical school like and, and what led you to to choose um you know absent gynae there's obviously a lot of choices for us when we are starting out as med students but I personally think it takes the first couple of years of working to kind of figure it out I don't know what what was your experience like yeah I think I was I suppose I describe it lucky in a way that I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to specialize in so I think it was the second final year of medical school we did our rotation in obstetrics and gynecology and I just loved it Mm. um and kind of well, I, one of the things I remember so well was all of the consultants we met who gave us tutorials they really enjoyed their specialty and they were huge advocates for their patients they just it they it really came across that they loved what they did and that they were advocates for women and for women's health and that was kind mm-hmm. of the first thing that made me think wow I like this 
Um, so in my first year after graduation, I did a three month job in gynecology and that just kind of solidified the thought that this is what I wanted to do. Mm. And I actually went straight into it. So I was quite lucky in that I figured out what I wanted to do and went into it quite early. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully haven't um, regretted that choice at all. So yeah, and I that's suppose, a big thing, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because obviously, you know, it is, I suppose, unless until you try something, you don't know that it's definitely for you. But it's a really it's a really wonderful specialty. Like there's the obvious, you know, parts you get to see new life come into the world and mm-hmm. be with couples during that. And that's humbling and gorgeous. Um, it's a really nice specialty in the sense that you get to, you know, practice a bit of medicine. You get to do procedures, you get to do surgery, you get to do some scanning. So it's nice and versatile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I think women's health is so important and it's often been forgotten. So it's. I feel very, um, I suppose, privileged to be someone who can advocate for women's health and try and promote it. Um, yeah. And I, I really like that aspect of it. I love that. And you're, you're so right, I think, as doctors, I always say, like, it's such a privilege to be able to work with people when they're at their most vulnerable and in need of help. And that's so true in Obstangani. I mean, I obviously don't have kids yet myself, but it's such a vulnerable period when you talk about obstetrics, like pre, during, after birth. It's, you know, a huge life changing moment. And it is amazing that you guys get to be such a, you know, a central part of that. I think it's really wonderful. Um, and it's great that you knew so early on we wanted to do, like I know in Trinity, I think ours are slightly different between Trinity and UCD, but we did obs and gynae in fourth year and then medicine and surgery in fifth year. So similar to you, I think a lot of our year really enjoyed it. Maybe weren't as, as sure on it being a career path, but we definitely did feel like those who were teaching us really wanted us to understand and to, you know, um, I suppose be as passionate as they were about the specialty, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely the um, experience I had as well. Mm-hmm. Like I remember one of the consultants saying to us, I want you to be as good as my SHOs. And we were all uh-huh. shaking in our tiny intern clothes or whatever, you know, like um, freaking out about that. But it was it was an amazing learning experience, 100 percent. And do you get much? I suppose you've obviously gone straight into the training from intern years. So how has that been for you? Like I know myself obviously intern year is an amazing year it's also a kind of a crazy year because you're literally a student one day and a doctor the next mm-hmm. um, and the SHO years you're obviously taking on more responsibility um, up to where I am now kind of at the registrar stage but how have you found the training so far? So I suppose the first thing is I don't know any different so I had a lot of friends who and it's quite a common thing that a lot of people will finish intern year and then take a year and I say this with inverted commas but a year out um, where people will travel or go typically to Australia and New Zealand to work there and I didn't do that Mm. and but I so it's uh, but I don't know any different so to me true this this is the only thing I know but I did I found it very difficult at the start um you know to go from intern year to SAJ was definitely a big jump and I do remember struggling Mm. but I don't have any regrets but I do, I'm very aware that, you know, maybe if I had gone to Australia, I'd be saying I had no regrets then either. Mm. Um, but this is all I know. Um, yeah. And so far, I'm quite happy with the kind of choices I made. It's a very good point. And do you mind me asking, was there a particular reason for, like, I didn't go to Australia either, whereas I think the vast, I think like 90% of or maybe 80% of my intern year did. For me, it just wasn't the right fit at the right time. So that was why I didn't go. I still really want to go on holiday there when we're allowed to do that again. But was there a particular reason or were you just kind of keen, you'd found a specialty you enjoyed and were just keen to get cracking on it? Yeah, I think that was the big reason. And I kind of felt as well, I was 
I felt like I want to save a year abroad for maybe when I need a break or a change of scenery yeah. and after entering year I didn't feel broken down or that I needed a bit of a break I was happy enough to keep going um mm. so kind of in my head what I decided is, is I'll keep going in the in the scheme side of things until I feel like I need a break and then I'll take it yeah gotcha. I think that's the key thing isn't it, it has to feel right for you at the yeah. right time you know I think it there's a lot of pressure I, or I felt like there was a lot of pressure and everyone was like are you going are you going and for me like I say it just wasn't the right fit but um it can feel strange when you're not doing the thing that the majority are doing not that there's anything wrong with doing it on the flip side it just has to be right for for the right person exactly. I, guess. I, I think if I'd gone to Australia I actually would have been going because everybody else was going and not necessarily because it was something that I felt was yeah. the right thing for me to do mm, such a good point and so important and I often kind of I'm a bit obsessed with purpose it was sort of what led me to going into public health because I finished my SHO training and hadn't really found the area that I was keen on and then I came across public health did the masters and was convinced it was for me so it took me a little bit longer to find the area that I was really passionate about and I'd love to know like do you feel like you found your purpose in your work or what is do you have a why for what you do you talked about like advocacy for women's health which is obviously you know amazing um is that a big part of it or is there a particular favorite aspects of your job that you know make you excited to go to work in the morning if that makes yeah. sense obviously not every day but yeah no but most days yeah it's it's the it's probably twofold so I don't think you ever really get sick of um you know being with a woman when she's excited to have her baby and then yeah. seeing the baby come into the world and seeing her and her birth partner react mm. to that like you you don't well I certainly have not gotten sick of that yet or yeah. um, a mum hearing the baby's heartbeat for the first time you know that's that's a really nice vibe to keep going Very but yeah, the other side of it is definitely the um the advocacy for women's health I think women's health is incredibly important obviously but it's you know it's been sidelined and it's something that's forgotten and dismissed um and, you know you you meet women every day who Mm. are strong and who some of them have been suffering and to help them in any way or to educate them about um the disease they may have or the symptoms mm. they may be having and then to I suppose be able to have experience in it so that you can talk to other people you know friends and family so that they can have a better understanding of women's health I think that's kind of my big why yeah 100% it's so important and you're so right even in whether it's research or daily practice I think women often put their health second and mm. you know all or almost think it's like a taboo to speak up even about something as simple not as simple but as you know um common as, as having your period you know it's yeah. um or breastfeeding at work you know that sort of thing it's it's just these issues that affect us like throughout different life cycles and affect every woman and yet you know, we know we live in a patriarchy, so it's probably another podcast to talk about that. But I think it's great that there is that advocacy, advocacy there within the specialty. I think it's so important. Um, and I'd love to know, obviously, it is a really busy job. I know on your Instagram, you're great for sharing, you know, trying to find a bit of balance outside your late shifts or your night shifts. And what do you think keeps you balanced outside of work? Um, I suppose it's a like, combination of a few things. So one of the first things that always brings to mind is exercise. Mm. Um I just you know I think there's so many benefits to exercise and it's certainly you know there's the physical benefits of it but certainly you know when I go for a run often it's a time for me to 
go over the things that might have been playing on my mind mm. and then actually sometimes if I'm so physically tired from running my mind just switches off and I get some rest and clarity nearly um and then afterwards there's the endorphins so to me exercise is just something it's paramount to to my balance mm. um mm. the second is I suppose friends um and a support network I'm really lucky actually in the fact that a lot of my close friends are in obstetrics and gynecology that's um, wonderful that's so nice yeah no, it's, it's really lovely because not that you want to come home and talk about work but often you know if there's been a tough day or a tough case yeah. while obviously while respecting patient confidentiality you can discuss it with them and they yeah. have a, a proper understanding of what what mm-hmm. it is you're talking about yeah. Um, that really helps I think it's nice to be able to talk to someone who understands and nearly debrief yeah um, and then just making time I suppose for rest um, I, I know yesterday I did nothing and I'm not exaggerating when I say I did nothing <laughs> uh, and I there was a time I was lying down and I was like oh I felt guilty and I was like you're mm-hmm. being really lazy and then I said no you, you need to rest um, yeah and I think we're all we're nearly caught up in always having to do something. Um, yeah. It's really important to do nothing um, and to rest. And I've gotten better at that, thankfully. So I think they're kind of maybe my three biggest things. I love that. And I love your third one, especially. Obviously, you know, a support network and exercise are, are so important. I would definitely agree with those and relate to that. But time for rest is maybe it's I think it's a universal thing obviously but like I think particularly in medicine we're kind of on a go 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 for five or six years and then it's intern year and then it's picking your specialty and then it's building your CV Mm -hmm. getting on schemes like it just feels like it's this rat race at times even though obviously there's so many special moments along the way there is my mum said it recently I was telling her about one of my bits of research I'm trying to do and I was kept saying like when I have this done and she was like but here when you have that done like you're going to be on to the next thing like there's always another thing so there's always another thing yeah. yeah there's always another thing like there's never something you don't know so she was like just make sure that while you're trying to achieve those things like that there's downtime mm-hmm. and obviously that's you know you could, someone could say that's common sense but I think particularly in medicine we're almost programmed to be on to the next thing or doing yeah. five things at once alongside the day job and yeah. um, and the guilt can sometimes be really overwhelming actually I used to find that very overwhelming particularly because we kind of turn into exam machines you know to get through the five years and finding that rest time was guilt-free is, is so important so thanks so much for sharing that I think that's and then such often a good point. what I find is when I'm resting but feeling guilty then I'm not really resting so it's trying yeah. to program yourself to say no I'm resting and that's that and this is good exactly that's what I'm trying to implement for my Sundays um just literally like you know putting in an afternoon on the couch with my book that's all I want you know like trying to resist taking out the laptop to do anything um but you know it's so important and actually I don't know about you but I find like when you let your brain rest like that sometimes your better ideas will come to you or a solution to that thing you've been chewing on all week and you can't figure out Mm -hmm. just space to think um and obviously it's so important the last 12 months with the pandemic and I suppose I first of all, I would love to ask how are you doing with the pandemic even outside of work and how has the pandemic impacted your work how has it been for you over the last 12 months yeah so I suppose like personally I suppose the same as everyone else and um nothing nothing tragic has happened to me and my family thankfully um 
and I suppose in a way you know I'm lucky I get to go to work every day I get to leave the house I get to see people so yeah the same frustrations of I haven't you know seen some friends and family and then things that I suppose are actually trivial you know I haven't gotten to go on a foreign holiday um yeah and at the end of the day they they don't really matter but they are things I miss so personally Mm. I think you know same as everyone else I'm a bit fed up but overall I know that I've been fine I have not been directly affected um and that I'm lucky for that in terms of our work this um I think I was saying to you before yeah I'll try and choose my words really carefully we haven't been directly affected by the pandemic um that severely and what I mean by that is I have friends who work in general hospitals so you know big centres like the matter in St Vincent's Hospital and you know I hear some of the stories of you know um people of of all different ages being in ICU and ventilated and dying and being alone um and how you know the ICU is coming into HGU and it's the things we're all hearing in the news yeah and I suppose we in um the maternity hospital thankfully have not been directly affected in terms of you know we haven't had a ventilated patient you know we haven't had um a woman die thankfully but we have I suppose the byproducts um from it so you know we've had women who've had surgeries cancelled um and Mm. delayed um we've had women who can't attend clinic or and are getting um all of that pushback and then we have the women who have had to receive bad news whether that be you know a miscarriage or a baby who has something wrong with it um and they've received that news in the in the first instance alone or yeah. women who are in pre-labor who are alone without their birthing partner um and that's really tough and you know they're not they're not you know it's not death but it's it's tough um so I think they're the things we're seeing and obviously as you said they're they're tough and I think it's something Brene Brown talks about that like there's no benefit to like comparative suffering I suppose that like all things that happen like that are so valid and everyone you know has their own pandemic story and you know because I think a lot of people were doing that like we obviously I think it's so important to practice gratitude for what we do have and what is going well and there is obviously relative degrees of what's happened to people over the years but acknowledging the tough times no matter what they look like is is so important exactly like for the woman who gets told you know at 11 weeks that there's no heartbeat that for Mm. her that is the worst thing um and it's not you know her mother has died and I see you alone but for her that is the worst thing yeah I totally know what you mean um, I suppose talking about the pandemic and obviously maternity care, I'd love to go on and talk to you about just a little bit about maybe COVID and pregnancy and COVID-19 um, vaccines and pregnancy. Obviously, this is something that's come up a lot. It's there's, There is, as I should say, some really great uh, web pages on the HSE site on these. And I know the um I think it's the Institute of Ops and Gynae isn't it have published quite yeah. a lot of things from an Irish perspective which is amazing and there's such great resources and I'd love to just touch on maybe some of the the main take-home points they're big topics so I certainly would yeah I'll, yeah and I'll try and keep it as brief as possible but yeah. as you, like the institute have been I think great and I think they and um, actually the RCOG in the UK as well and what I'm really impressed with them is they've been producing resources both for healthcare professionals and for patients Mm. And they're actually starting to utilise social media a lot more, which I think makes the information oh, really accessible. So they're really starting to use their Instagram and Twitter pages. And I think it's great. 
Um, So obviously this is like a very new disease, as we all know, and it's an evolving situation. But kind of some of the take home points in terms of COVID and pregnancy are relatively positive. So we don't, unlike some other viruses, we don't think that COVID-19 is more likely to negatively affect a pregnant woman. So we don't think that they're more likely to get sick. Um, And the majority of women who are pregnant who get COVID-19 usually will have mild flu-like symptoms. Of those who do get sick, and by that I mean need a hospital admission or need to be admitted into the ICU, those women are more likely to get sicker than a non-pregnant individual, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I'm well explained. Uh, Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of difficult to understand. Yeah. Um, in terms of the babies, there has been um, only a handful of cases where babies have gotten COVID-19 um, after an infected mother and usually have been quite well. So that's very positive as well. Kind of one of the things we're seeing emerging is there has been an increased rate of preterm delivery. So delivery before 37 weeks with women who contract COVID-19. What we haven't properly ascertained yet is that because we as doctors are delivering them earlier um, because we're concerned that the mum might be sick or the baby might not be doing well, or is the virus bringing on preterm labour? So that's something that would probably emerge. So overall is is quite positive, mm. um, is not as negative as, as probably we would have thought in the first instance. Um, this is this is very new, so I probably won't go into too much detail, but I think a lot of women were quite concerned when emerged that there was a few cases of, of what we're calling COVID placentitis. Mm. Um, and the this is where a mum gets COVID-19 um, and it seems that the placenta or the, you know, the thing that connects the baby to the mum, it got infected with COVID-19. And then there's been a few case reports, unfortunately, of where there's been stillbirths. Um, this seems to be very, very rare, um, and I think that re- so that's something to reassure women with. And just to say, you know, the biggest thing that we can reassure women with is paying attention to your baby's movements. And if you're ever worried about them, to get in touch with your maternity hospital. But you know, it's a really evolving situation, so it's you know, it's hard to give very clear um, yeah. idea of what we're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. And well explained, can I say, because it's it, it's a hard one and obviously communicating it in the right kind of terms as well. We're so used to medical jargon, but that's no use to someone who's just watching the news and just yeah. wants to know should they be worried or not. Um, and it's, it's funny, actually, I've been doing a lot of not research, a lot of reading research on um, like post-COVID symptoms, like, um, you know, what patient survivors are terming long COVID. And it's just, I suppose, in an abstract way, obviously, uh, not to detract from the suffering and the burden of illness that's causing people. In an abstract way, it's um, just really unusual as a doctor to be watching something unfold from the stage of case reports to, you know, more larger observational studies long down, long term down the line maybe more interventional studies of treatment it's, I don't think as doctors we really I don't know about you but I probably haven't had an opportunity to see something like that go from no, it's very yeah, evolution to finish and I think it'll be really interesting for us you know in years to come to look back and say we lived through that and we learned you know in real time yeah exactly yeah. exactly it is it's it's uh, it, I don't want to call it a privilege because I'd rather obviously that no, COVID no, didn't yeah. exist but as doctors it is it's it's kind of almost a really important learning opportunity to see something go from literally knowing nothing and sharing the genetic sequence of a virus to yeah. 
knowing how to treat the illness it causes and then look at the chronic disease burden it might cause as well and the complications it's um it's fascinating in the abstract way obviously not yeah. to detract from how much suffering and um devastation it's caused around the world um and so i suppose then just to talk a bit about the vaccines because obviously yeah. that's a huge milestone um, and amazing that we've gotten there. I know you and I have both been vaccinated um, as, as healthcare workers, which is which is great and obviously a privilege in its own right. And there's been a lot of chat about COVID-19 vaccines and pregnancy. And I'd obviously another big topic, but if there were specific take-homes on that, yeah. I think it'd be helpful to share. So I think this, and I think people will get sick of me saying things like this, but this, <laughs> you know, I, can't, I can't give specifics, but this, <laughs> COVID-19 vaccine and pregnancy is particularly needs to be particularly individualized so Mm. there's no one answer fits all you know each woman needs to think about it herself and with her family um, and with her doctor so yeah at the moment you know the vaccine hasn't actually been in the clinical trials the vaccine wasn't tested on pregnant women which I suppose is its its own conversation in itself Um, so we don't know if there's any side effects but we don't think there are mm. that we think it is safe in pregnancy and then so i suppose what you have to balance is the risk of getting covid19 in pregnancy versus any potential side effects that we might not know about and for each woman that balance will be different so you know for a woman who um works in marketing and is working from home and is socially distancing and has no underlying medical problems and who isn't really exposed to COVID, Mm. you know, her risk of getting COVID is probably really low. Therefore, her risk of getting sick from it is really low. So she could probably think to herself, you know, that risk is really low. I'd rather not take on any potential side effects. And that's that's her decision. Mm. For, you know, the 30-something week pregnant doctor who is working in a large medical hospital and while is wearing PPE and um, protecting herself she could probably think well you know I'm working directly with COVID-19 patients my risk is that bit higher Mm. Um, uh, for me I think the risk of getting COVID outweighs any potential side effects of this vaccine for me getting the vaccine is a good idea Mm. Um, or you could you know you might have a woman who has severe asthma um, and needs to be hospitalized maybe once a year um, Mm. for exacerbations and she might say my risk of getting COVID isn't that high but my risk of getting sick with COVID is a little bit higher so for me protecting against it is is better than any potential side effects and that's kind of what we're suggesting that you look at your risk of exposure and your risk of getting sick you have a chat with you know your family your friends and then you have a chat with your midwife and your obstetrician and you balance those two. Um, we think it is probably safe. Um, and so far, there hasn't been any documented side effects. But obviously, you know, I mean, in Ireland, we only started vaccinating in, I think it was December. Yeah. Um, so it'll take some time before we would see any, if any. Yeah. Um, and so at the moment, what's, we're recommending that... Um, women who are healthcare workers or women who have underlying healthcare condi- health medical conditions consider it um between 16 and th- or sorry 13 and 36 weeks of pregnancy okay i had uh, maybe i missed i thought it was 14 and 33 but is that a bit different they moved, they moved it up um to 36 oh, okay. maybe two weeks ago 
Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's really good for me to know because obviously in, in public health, we're not really having, we're having, I suppose we're a different side of, of, the, of the system. So we're not having those conversations day to day. So um, that's really useful for me to know. So thank you for sharing that. I've learned something here as well. <laughs> that's, that's how, that's how rapidly it's changing. Yeah, 100%. And it is, you're right. I think that's such a good answer and so important. It is an individualized conversation mm. and it, it, both of those sides of things need to be weighed up and I think you've illustrated so well there how nuanced the situation is and how individualized it needs to be and again comes back to this whole thing of you know it's really hard to give answers on something that we we literally have been doing for three months yeah yeah you know that's that's the thing now it's amazing that we, we do have the data that we do have which is fantastic but there is always going to be a bit of a challenge with you know groups that we haven't been able to fully study yet um Okay, so I think we've covered the take homes on those. And I think there's probably not much point diving deeper into them because it's a nuanced conversation. Yeah, Yeah, I think you've really covered the main points. And I should say as well, again, there is loads of information on the HSE website as well. And obviously, talking to your doctor, your team, your midwife, key. Um, The other area of, I suppose, women's health that I'd love to talk to you about is um, about cervical cancer prevention, Mm -hmm. because that's something that we're obviously really passionate about in public health as well. something where we have a really good example of, of how prevention is, is really important, particularly when it comes to cervical screening and, um, you know, vaccination against HPV. And I'd love to talk to you a bit about the screening part, particularly just as was given your experience in gynecology. Mm-hmm. I know screening, the smear test is something a lot of women fear or just don't really look forward to, or maybe it might deter them from actually going. Now, obviously, it's a bit of a different situation at the moment because of COVID. Um, yeah you know, people might be more reticent to visit a GP surgery for that reason. But just focusing on the smear itself, I'd love if you could tell us what's involved and what should women know about their smear test to help with that fear that might be there? Yeah, so it changed. we changed our kind of screening programme in early last year. Mm. Um, so now we do, so we always did kind of two screening tests depending on your, up to two screening tests depending on your results, where we used to check for abnormal cells and then check for, the presence of a virus that I think we've really probably all heard of in some capacity, HPV. Mm-hmm. And we changed, so now we check for HPV first um, from the smear test. And if it's negative, amazing. And if it's positive, we then look for the abnormal cells and do it that way um, because we find this to be more, um, more likely to pick up changes in the cervix. Um, and, that's, and that's been going quite well. In terms of what to expect, I think it's really daunting. Um, but it's I and I say this as someone who's done them and, and who has had them. Yeah, um, both sides. I think it's I think it's not awful, and I think you know there's a nice little slogan: "Don't fear the smear." So you'll go in, um, and what you'll have to do is take off your bottom half, and usually you'll get a blanket to put over you, and you'll depending on the facilities of the doctors, you'll either put your two legs up or just put your two legs out to the side. And the doctor or nurse or, or um, person performing the smear will use a thing we call a speculum. It can be plastic or metal and it's just used to open out the vagina a little bit to see the cervix, which is the neck of your womb and it's at the back of the vagina. Mm. And then a small brush is just used to touch it. You will, getting the speculum can put, put in can be a bit uncomfortable, usually a bit of pressure and actually getting the smear bit done feels strange it's not sore but it's a strange feeling mm-hmm. and the whole thing usually takes about less than two minutes um you know it's really really quick 
it's not sore is not the word for it. It's, it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but it's not sore. Um, and it's so quick and literally could potentially save your life. Um, I think as well with women, we can often be embarrassed or uncomfortable of our genital area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had women apologize for not um, shaving or, yes, you know, yeah. things like that. And I can promise you, nobody performing a smear cares. You know, that, no. that's not important. That doesn't matter. And that's not something you should worry about at all. I think we should become more comfortable with just, you know, not apologizing for how we look. Yeah, exactly. It's really not the purpose of your visit. <laughs> no, not at all. So, it, it, you know, I, I don't mean to dismiss anyone's fears at all, but it really is fine. Um, and it's really important. Um, and I think as well, if you're if you're nervous, tell the person performing your smear. They'll often, you know, let you relax, do everything really slowly, talk you through it, um, explain exactly what's going on. And that can help as well. So if you are worried, tell the person um, and that can help a lot. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's really clear at the step by step there. And it, you're right, it can save your life. It's so important. And we really want the uptake to be as good as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if you are concerned, you know, no harm to talk to your doctor or your practice nurse, you know, you can even give a phone call, but like, you know, voice the concerns, as you've said, and it makes the experience just a bit less scary for that reason then as well. Exactly. Um, and they can do whatever they can to help alleviate some of their fe- those fears. Exactly. And again, I know you're talking about the HSE website, but there is obviously all the information. If you um, you know, want to get more info on that, please do check out the HSE website because um, there is kind of a step by step of the reason for the smear test, the process and um, you know, getting started with getting your smear test. So definitely do use that as a resource. Thanks, Sarah. They were kind of the three kind of main areas around women's health at the moment. So obviously loads I could ask you about, but we might maybe we'll follow up with a part two. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a couple of last things I'd love to talk to you about. And one is just, I suppose, um, something I'm particularly interested in as a doctor who uses social media. And obviously you are as well. You're someone who's got quite a significant following on social media. And I'd love to know how you find that as a doctor. Um, you know, do you like do you find it to be a positive experience? What have been the upsides or the, has there been any downsides for you? How do you find balance with it in your day, like using it and things? Yeah, you've kind of caught me at a funny time. I'm struggling a little bit with the balance of it at the moment. And I've nearly, I suppose, taken a hiatus, mm. uh, I suppose, with work and research and things like that. Instagram, while I love it, is a, is a little bit of an extra job in itself. Um, it is. And I haven't posted actually in probably over a month. I just find that I come home from work and need a break. So I'm on a little hiatus at the moment. But other than that, I find it really quite positive. Um, <clears throat> I think you can meet some doctors every now and then who think it's nearly trivial that a doctor is posting on Instagram. But I think it's about accessibility um, and trying to get a message across you know to different groups of people um who mightn't necessarily go on the hse website or might necessarily talk to their doctor in person Um, and if we can give accurate factual accessible information on a platform that they respond to then i think that's a positive thing um i think you have to be very careful um you know it's with information you know things can always change and you I'm always really aware that I might say something that's correct at a a point in time and it changes. Particularly with COVID. Yeah, where I'm always really aware that I might answer a question for um, somebody and they might interpret it incorrectly. Mm -hmm. 
and I am aware that maybe something negative could come from it but yeah. I, ultimately I think it's a positive thing I think what you're trying to do is is promote um you know a, a healthy message um and try to educate for me anyway educate women about their bodies um and I, I do think it's a positive thing but I think I'm just careful with it if that makes sense yeah no and I would very much relate to that um I have I I suppose for me I kind of feel like I've been on hiatus with it even though I have been posting a bit it's just I find like you with research and a day job it's amazing how much time it takes particularly Mm -hmm. putting a decent like you know relatively you know well-referenced post together and you know people forget like you can't just conjure up the information like you have to be if particularly as doctors like you really have to be careful how you're phrasing it what you're saying yeah also fitting it into what is it like a 2000 character <laughs> post you know um and don't talk, even talk to me about hashtags because I can't even yeah. deal with <laughs> and then but like it, you might have been, you might have designed the infographic and then yeah usually you know that someone might ask you a question so you you know you want to be online a little bit afterwards so it's actually it is a time yeah. commitment Definitely. Like I do sometimes a and a and I, I used to try and do one every week, but now I kind of do it every couple of weeks, maybe. And I just did one there before we started recording. And I think it was like 45 minutes doing it. And I was like, you know, like I enjoyed doing that, but yeah. it's a lot of time. You know, it yeah. is a lot of time. And I just wonder, like in a few years, are we going to look back and go, God, do you remember Instagram the same way we now like say, I don't know if you remember Bebo, but like, I, I do, definitely, yeah. <laughs> you know, is that going to be, like, will we even have it? Like, when you and I get, to hope, you know, touch wood and all that, but when we get to consultant level, mm-hmm. is it something long-term that's going to be feasible? And I do think that, sorry, I'm on a rant now, I do think that it's important that we do have a voice online mm-hmm. because there's a lot of crap out there, a lot of misinformation. Yeah, that's the other side of it. You're trying to combat and balance mm, exactly. the conversations that are happening on there. Exactly. Um, and it's hard not to end up in an echo chamber as well where... Yes this information isn't actually I actually don't follow a lot of that kind of stuff because it makes me too angry (laughs) but I suppose you are trying to cultivate I try to see it as a community that is you know um for me I agree it's been it's been predominantly positive I do think the more woke and politically correct the world gets the more careful you have to be not Mm -hmm. that you or I aren't either of those things but as you said it's just about how things can be interpreted perception versus reality I guess sometimes Mm -hmm. as well yeah. yeah um cool well that's we're obviously on very much on the same page there so. <laughs> my last couple of questions for you are what I am going to be asking my guests going forward uh, one of which I always ask my guests the other one is a new one for me but you are an avid reader Um, I know from your Instagram that you love reading and I would love to know what's the last book that you read and would you recommend it so it's I suppose I'm halfway through it so I'm currently halfway through Olive Kittredge Oh, um, cool. which, as almost with all my books, came as a recommendation after you read it. Yeah, um, no pressure to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm currently about halfway through it and enjoying it, finding it a little bit slow, but I am enjoying it. Um, and there's another one after it. I think all of the again is it? Yeah, it is all yeah. of the game. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, so yeah, I would recommend it. I think before that, um, I also read a book again off your recommendation called Olive again uh, not sorry it, it is called Olive um, and really enjoyed oh, that book. yes by Emma Gannon yeah yes. I just found it a lovely enjoyable read um, yeah and it tackles a re- I won't spoil it for people who are going to read it but tackles 
I actually wondered what you would think of that book as someone who's in Abs and Gynae. Yeah, no, I think it raises, I think just it's, I think it says it on the blurb, maybe. It does, uh, actually. Yeah, yeah, a young woman in her 20s who's questioning whether or not she wants to have children. I think it's a really important thing to discuss and thing maybe for us to get more comfortable talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good read. Yeah, I thought that was excellent. It's I suppose child free, child free by choice. I think was the yeah how she named it in the book. I actually listened to that on audio and I couldn't put it. I couldn't turn it off. I thought it was yeah. so good and really because it can be hard to talk about those kind of things and Ooh. sometimes putting it in a story like that where it's someone else's story as opposed to a real person that you that's you know someone could interpret in the wrong way. It's a novel. It's fiction and yet it's based on a real life issue and I agree conversations we're not having enough um mm-hmm. definitely um, I'm glad you enjoyed that one and I actually loved your recent recommendation which was on your story the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo yes so good so good oh <laughs> have you read Daisy Jones and the Six or is that I've read it and I didn't love compared to Evelyn the Evelyn Hugo yeah, story I actually read yeah. Daisy Jones first okay I don't even know why I just wasn't mad about it it didn't mm-hmm do anything for me is <laughs> I actually preferred the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo I yeah. just thought it was more of a story that you could dive into yeah but I, I did like... I did enjoy Daisy Jones but thanks for the Evelyn Hugo recommendation I thought that was so good such a good yeah. story and when you did you order the nightingale I think I saw you yeah. order um, I have it. It's behind my bed, so I, I have all the books yet to be read. Oh here. God, talk to me when you've read that. Oh, I love to have conversations about it. <laughs> and then my last question there is: Could you give our listeners one tip to bring a bit of balance to their lives? I think I'm going to go with my point three from earlier: mm. to, to take rest and do nothing, but to not feel guilty for it. Because if you're resting and feeling guilty, then you're not really resting. So yeah. the next time you're doing nothing enjoy it and don't feel guilty for it I love that thanks so much there it's been so nice to talk to you I know it's been ages since you and like we have met in person before obviously yeah. but it was years ago in this stage. stage yeah so it's really nice to reconnect well, thank you so much for having me on yeah no problem at all and do you want to let people know where to find you on Instagram or is there any other content that you want to flag or anything like that yeah no Instagram is is my is my main one um so I think it's Dr Sarah J Murphy um and hopefully we'll be returning from my hiatus soon so there'll be content on there again definitely and we'll have to get coffee when I do move back to Dublin (laughs) when we're allowed to do that (laughs) Um, and best of luck with your new chapter in July um and again thanks so much for being my guest and thanks to everyone for listening if you did enjoy this episode please do share it on your Instagram stories and tag myself and Sarah and go follow Sarah because you will learn so much from her content and she shares some great running content as well um yeah, and I'll, I'll talk to you guys soon when we have the next episode up. Thanks for listening.